Hear God's word to you this morning. Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And here's what we're going to focus on this morning. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. Now, I guarantee somewhere you've heard these words before. See, if I, while, I'm, while I'm reading them, let's see if you, you've heard these words before. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. You beat me to the punch, Cliff. <laughs> and no message could have been any clearer. If they want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. I don't think any truer words were ever spoken out of the mouth of Michael Jackson. <laughs> Gotta say. Man in the mirror. And it makes a convicting point, doesn't it? If you want to change the world, the place to begin is the person in the mirror. German poet Johann Wolfgang von Gogh once put it this way. Let everyone sweep in front of his own door and the whole world will be clean. Isn't that cool? If everybody swept their own, you know, went to, dealt with their own business, we'd have a pretty clean world. This is certainly at least a part of what Jesus meant when he said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. And man, is that a gross picture or what? I was trying to find a good picture of how ridiculous it would be. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He wants us to get this picture in our mind of how silly it is. And who says he doesn't have a sense of humor? How can we do that? How can we say to our brother, let me take the speck, that's what we're talking about, out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? See, he uses this ludicrous illustration to show all of us who are running around with these huge logs protruding out of our eyes, and at the same time we're trying to remove this little speck from someone else's eye. But, here, but here's the issue. Jesus knows human nature, fallen human nature, and that's exactly what we do, isn't it? So often in our lives. We have great advice how to fix other people. And how to address their issues and their problems, yet we're completely blind to our glaring issues. <laughs> we can't see our own stuff. Now, Jesus is not saying this to us 
to hurt our feelings or to make it sting just for the sake of giving us a dig as we as fallen simple creatures we're often tempted to do you know when we want to knock somebody down a peg you know we kind of enjoy that Jesus isn't doing that he's not getting a thrill out of saying this the contrary he's literally giving us the antidote to this absurd reality of fallen human humanity that we find ourselves in in judging others harshly for their minor faults while at the same time refusing to address our huge issues that's that's the thing that jesus is dealing with and here's the cool thing there's a silver lining in this dark cloud of loving rebuke now i don't know about you but certainly as a leadership position in the church and as a servant of the Lord and as a pastor, I often feel powerless and frustrated by my inability to change other people. You ever feel like that? Like, I feel powerless. Well, here's the good news. Jesus is telling us that that's not our first priority in the kingdom. That's not our first job. I don't know about for you, but that's a relief to me. I'm not responsible for other people's reactions and behavior. Even though sometimes throughout my life I've felt like I was, right? Our first priority is to take responsibility for the, first, for the one person we have the most influence over in our lives and that we could do something about actually, and that's ourselves. Now I know that doesn't seem like good news at first. You're like, wow, thanks. That's, that's the good news, Pastor? Well, if you stick with me for the next 20 minutes or so, I promise you will find these words as convicting as they are from Jesus. You will find them ultimately, ultimately more as an encouragement than a discouragement. If you just hang with me for a few minutes. We're going to see from God's word this morning that if we take these words of our Lord and Savior Jesus seriously by actually putting them into practice and not just going, Amen! Hallelujah! That's right, you fix it! No, 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 no. I appreciate that. I like that. But I want more than that in your life, and I want more than that in my life. I want to actually go out and do these things. Because at the end of this chapter, remember what Jesus says? He says, let me tell you a man who hears my words and puts them into practice. Remember this? He is like a man who built his house on the rock. The storms came, the wind came, the waves came, but it remained standing. Right? And then he says, let me tell you about the foolish man, what he does. He hears these words of mine, but he doesn't put them into practice. And when the storms come, when the, waves, when the wind blows and the waves come, it comes down with a mighty crash. So we want to be among those who build on the rock. Amen? All right, so this is what we're going to say. This is how, when we take these words into, uh, in, into uh, really put them into practice... We will be world changers. And let me explain how. First of all, the first thing that will happen is it will deeply humble us. That's the first benefit of taking these words seriously. Judging everyone else's faults, brainstorming better ways that they could manage themselves in their world, tends to do what? It tends to feed our pride and our arrogance, doesn't it? It actually fans into flame one of the most basic of human sins, and that's the sin of pride. We're up on our high horse, in a position of superiority, right? Shaking our heads at how this or that person, usually a brother or sister in Christ, by the way, can be that messed up. 
unlike ourselves, of course. Now, you ever hear the phrase, up on your high horse? You know what that means, don't you? What happens when you're on a high horse? When you fall. Ouch. That's what's implied with that, by the way. There's an old comedian who, who's now passed away, but his name is George Burns. A few of us might remember him. But I, I love this statement from him. He says, too bad that all the people who know how to run the country are busy driving taxi cabs and cutting hair. <laughs> right? But here's what Jesus is saying. When you courageously, because it takes courage, come to terms with our Lord's diagnosis of your condition and by faith face the fact that you have a huge log of your own to deal with, it has the opposite effect of leading to pride, it actually leads you to humility. Remember what we just sang. Humble yourself before the Lord and what? He's going to lift you up. It's the opposite of falling down. It's being lifted up. That's the irony in the kingdom. You humble yourself, you get lifted up. See, it puts everything into perspective. When you see, now listen, I want you to hear this because I preach this to myself. And it was good for my soul, and I hope it will be for you, you as well. When you see how deep your flaws run, it's never fun. How destructive some of your sins can be. How serious your own issues are. Now listen, it'll bring you right down to size. And as you take all that energy that you used to take on judging others, and instead you deal with your own sins, listen what it's going to do for you. It's going to make you more patient more compassionate, and more understanding to the faults you see in others. What a blessing you're going to be because you're going to approach it with deep humility. You're not going to stand from your high place, you know, holier than thou, better than thou, let me fix you. Instead, you're going to come humbly, broken, saying, hey man, Lord's been dealing with me about some things. If any way I can help with you, by all means. John Stott puts, it, puts his finger right on and he says this. We need to be as critical of ourselves as we often are of others and as generous to others as we often are to ourselves. Can I get an amen? You know, because we're real generous with ourselves. We're real forgiving. We let things slide, you know. But with others, man, we want to hold their feet to the fire. And Jesus says, see that? Flip it. Flip the script. So that's the first thing it will do when we take these words seriously and we address our own log first. We will be deeply humble. The second thing it will do is, listen, this is an important one. It'll cause us to run for our lives to Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you go to deal with that log, you're going to soon find out what? It ain't easy to pull it out. Why do you think you want to spend all your time working with people's little specs? Because you can't get that log out. It's a glaring problem. And so what, what is it going to make you do when you take it seriously? You're going to turn to Jesus for the grace, the power, and the mercy that he, only he can give you to deliver you from that log. We're going to run to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. We're going to say, Lord, it's not others, it's me that's standing in the need of prayer. 
And rather than being despondent and wringing our hands over the impossibility of the task at hand, we turn to the one who we all know has the power and the grace to deliver us from evil. See, here's the interesting thing in the Christian life. No one actually learns that lesson until they actually try to pull it out on their own. Right? Nobody knows that uh, you can't earn your salvation by works, for instance, unless you actually try to earn your salvation by works. You know, people say they do, but they're not really trying. It's someone like a Martin Luther who literally was frantically trying to save himself that realized what trouble he was in. You know, going up and down stairs on his knees, flagellating himself, praying all day and all night. None of us have ever done that. He tried it and he realized, I can't do it. Well, in the same way, it's only those who take seriously, okay, I'm going to lick this sin in my life. I'm going to pull out this lie. I'm going to do it. And you realize, I can't even get my hand around. You know when you're trying to lift something, you're like, I can't even. That's what's going to happen if you actually try to do what Jesus says here. And if you think I'm making this stuff up, go to the context. That's why we read a little of the context. Look down at verse 7 in chapter 7. Right after those strong words that we read, Jesus says this. Listen. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The connection here is clear in context. The door for spiritual help in dealing with the plank in our own eye and then the speck in your brother's eye will swing wide open to those who knock on the door by faith. Jesus is saying, you having trouble? <laughs> What's taking you so long to come to me? Knock! I'll throw open that door. Ask, you'll receive. It'll be given to you. It deeply humbles us, these words, and it drives us to Christ for help. And third of all, and here's an important one when we're looking to change the world, it puts us in the best position possible to help others to change. We're so concerned about changing others, right? Well, when we deal with our own log, we're actually in a place where maybe we could be of some use. When you put first things first, you deal with the log in your own eye, then you're going to be humbled and you'll be available to help others in the Lord's hand. You know, you ever fly on a plane? I don't know if you have, but I've had to do too much of it. I'm not like a big fan of flying. But you always have to have the spiel. I don't care how many million times you heard it, and if they see you're not looking up, hey, I'm like really, you know. In, in case of an unlikely case of that we might be into a, a you know accident, we the, the plane goes down over the water, the oxygen masks will come down. You hear this? And then they always say for the building, make sure you first secure the mask over your own face securely before helping others. You ever hear that? You know why though? Because parents in a panic, especially, they're going to do what? They're going to try to get the mask around their child's face first. And unfortunately, if they don't make it in time, what's going to happen? Or even if they might get it on the child's face on time, but if they don't get theirs on, they go unconscious. 
then who helps the child? Child's unattended. So the point is first take care of yours, not to be selfish, but so that you can then safely help others. You get it? Jesus is saying the same thing. First take, first take the mask, as it were, and with the help of, of the Lord, then you'll be able to actually be helpful to pull a little speck out. That, you know, and specks are, are an issue, right? They're annoying. You ever get a speck in your eye? It's kind of hard to live and hard to look. Without, so it's not, we're not saying the specks aren't important to get out. We're just saying, Jesus is saying, first, take care of your own issue. And then I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He says, you can think of me as a fellow patient in the same hospital who, having been admitted a little earlier, can give you a little bit of advice. Right? It takes the pride right out of it. Look, I'm in the hospital too, but I'm in here a little longer than you. Maybe I can give you some tips. It's a little different than coming and telling them how to rule their world. Amen. And now listen, this is powerful stuff. You're like, why is Pastor talking about this? He only has a few sermons left in New City. I'll tell you why. This is the great secret in any marriage relationship, any friendship relationship, any workplace relationship, and that's this. The greatest change you can make in others is by changing yourself. Or to put it in another, put it another way, be the change you want to see in others, and maybe, just maybe, by the grace of God, that change may affect them as well. In the book DNA of Relationships, Gary Smalley puts it this way: When we make it our goal to change our own behavior rather than the other person's, that person often notices the positive transformation taking place in us and begins his or her journey of personal change. There's a word that I heard all my life. I never knew what it meant until just now, just this week. Serendipity. It's a pleasant surprise that you didn't expect to happen. You didn't necessarily aim for it, but that's what happens. And that's what happens here when we work on our own lives by the grace of God and we bring change by the grace, by God's help in our own lives. Then, lo and behold, you may see God uses it to change others. Now, I want to give a word of caution here. It's really important. We have to check our hearts and our attitudes to make sure that we're heeding Jesus' words first to deal with our own issues. And, and we're doing that not only as a way to change others. You follow me? Because that's not sanctification, that's manipulation. And that's not what's going on here. We need to do it honestly because he loved us. He gave himself for us, and out of our gratitude for what he's done for us, we actually want to do what he says for his glory, for our own good, and then, as he sees fit, to be helpful to others. Now, I've been in marriage counseling situations where you'd have to you'd say to the couple, listen, why don't you try something? Why don't you love your spouse? Do good to them no matter how they respond to you as a believer in Christ. You just continue to love on them no matter what, how they respond. And they both agree, yeah, we do. One week later, yeah, how did it go? I did everything you said, but it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? You weren't listening to a word I said. It's not about changing the other person. about glorifying God and changing yourself and finding peace in Him. As followers of the crucified, we're, we're to do it 
because it's our, our Savior's goodwill. Whether or not people respond in kind. You know, here's the thing. Sometimes, no matter how straight we walk, although I don't know how long, for how long of a stretch I've walked too straight, but no matter how straight we walk, sometimes people will still choose the broad road that leads to destruction. That's, that's a fact. But you know, still, we have to continue on the narrow road that leads to life. As the old hymn puts it, we're going to sing in a moment. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And I'll never forget the Apostle Peter. Listen, I got like a couple extra minutes here in the DVD. I'm getting, you're getting a bonus. You're getting the director's cut, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you, might, you might remember Jesus was talking to Peter, and John was there, the Apostle John. And he basically tells Peter, you know, when you were younger, you dressed like you wanted to dress. You went where you wanted to go. But when you get older, somebody else is going to dress you, and they're going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. And it says in the text, Jesus was referring to the way that Peter would die to glorify God. So Peter actually understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, you come follow me. And it's going to cost you. You're going to die for me. And so Peter looks over at John. Listen, this is us. He looks over at John and he goes, what about him? Ah. Huh. And that's when Jesus says, what's that to you? What if I want him to stay alive until I return? You come follow me. And then John says, a rumor started from this, and everybody said that, oh, John's going to stay alive until Jesus comes. But that's not what Jesus said. We're crazy people, aren't we? No. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about her. God's not going to hold you accountable for them. He's going to hold you accountable for you in this context. Last thing I want to point out. We're talking about wanting to change the world, and we start with ourselves. Well, we will change the world by at least changing ourselves. Because we're in the world. You know, a little Star Wars reference. It was in The Return of the Jedi. Listen, it opens up, the film opens up this way. Darth Vader, you know, that whole, bum, 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 and he's looking bad, man. And he's a surprise visit, uh, visit to the Death Star. they got to rebuild the Death Star, and it's got to be functional by a certain amount of time. And he goes up to the commander, and the commander's like, I wasn't expecting the visit, you know. And he says, you know, the emperor expects it to be done. You know, I'm here because we got to get you back on track for this Death Star to be up and running. And the commander, you know, he's getting a little nervous. He says, well, you know, we're working as fast as we can. And then I love what he says to him. He says, he kind of whispers to Darth Vader, but he's asking the impossible. I need more men. And then he says, well, you're going to have to tell that to the emperor when he comes. And he goes, the emperor's coming here? And then I love this. This is one of my favorite lines. He says, we'll double our efforts. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I think that's so funny. And then the, the commander, then he says, Darth Vader says, well, I hope so for your sake. The emperor is not as forgiving as I am. <laughs> right? That is like such a bad scene, isn't it? I mean, you're just like, wow. 
Now, unfortunately, sometimes that's how we take our Lord's loving rebuke here in Matthew 7. Here's the beauty. Our Lord and Master is incredibly forgiving. He's merciful. He's not saying, double your efforts or else. That's not what this is all about. This is about our loving Lord saying, hey, you want to see change? You want to be a part of the answer and not the problem? It starts right here. It starts with the man or the woman in the mirror. Let's deal with that log, shall we? <laughs> Come to me. Phillips Brooks, an old Puritan, once said this, and I want to leave you with this. Fight with your own sin and let that fight keep you humble and full of sympathy when you go out into the world and strike at the sin of which the world is full. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. You're a merciful God. And that indeed you call your people to be salt. You say we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And we are your change agents in many ways in your hands. And yet, Lord, our primary calling in this sense of judging is to judge ourselves first. Lord, we pray you, you would give us grace that we would fly to you for mercy, that we would ask, that we would seek, that we would knock. That, Lord, as your people, we would have spiritual revival as we deal with our own issues. And the world would see, wow, how they are humble and how they take all the principles of their true religion and they apply them to themselves first before they help us. Lord, may we be a people that are humble by your words, that... Don't only just hear your word and then don't put it into practice, but that we would be a people that hear your words, put them into practice, so that when the storms come, we would still be standing. We pray it for your sake, Jesus, your glory, and our own good, and the good of the world you placed us in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.